from today's sermon with Pastor Blake Prater. We don't deserve a God who would love us enough to come and demonstrate his love for us and die for us in our place as the substitutionary atonement. We don't deserve that at all. But God in his infinite grace and amazing love died in our place. How amazing is this love? And he did it at just the right time. I didn't know what time it was for Christ to die. Like I said, I wasn't even thought about yet. But in God's terms, I was. Before the foundations of the earth, Christ died for the, un- Christ died for the ungodly. God knew that he was going to have to die. And you know why? Because there was enough of me to make all of him die. Today, with New Prospect Baptist Church, Brother Blake is looking at Romans chapter 5 and how God demonstrated his own love toward us. Join with us today as we break down this text about how much God loves you and me. This morning in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11, the big thought that I'm going to really dive into is there in verse 8, one of my favorite verses, really what I believe is the gospel in a nutshell. I know most people like to go to John 3, 16, but I love Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we get there, uh, wow, I can't wait. I can't wait. But until then, let me give you a little bit of uh, a little lead in, okay, a little introduction. I've been, uh, I've coached basketball for a long time. Uh, I like basketball. I like to watch basketball. Not as much as I used to. Too much uh, other things are involved in basketball now that you watch on TV. But um, I still like the sport of basketball. And one thing that I love to teach is a pick and roll. And a lot of folks may not know what a pick and roll is or how that works. And what you've got is you've got an individual that's got the basketball and they've got a defender on them. And what happens is, is one of their teammates comes up and stands to the side to set the pick. Okay? So what does that do? That picks this defender off. Well, his defender is should, if he knows what he's doing, is going to pick up the guy with the ball when he comes around. But a lot of times I coached up for basketball. So a lot of kids didn't understand the concept of how to roll off and pick up the guy with the ball. So anyway, this guy runs free. And then once they set the pick here, on the guy with the ball, they're going to roll. Because the goal is, is to bounce pass it to him because he's got his defender on his back so that he can go up and shoot a layup. That's a pick and roll. And uh, I love the pick and roll. It's one of the best plays. We run it down there on, on Thursday nights when we play. And I'm squeezing the ball into a pass. I mean, to me, in as much as I like to score, it's really cool when you can feed that little pick and roll pass and your teammates score. I love that move. Well, why don't I show you that? Because I'm demonstrating to you how to do a pick and roll. I could tell you how to do that all day long. But without me physically showing you how to do it, you may say, I, I have no clue. I could say there's two guys, okay? There's two guys at the top of the key. All right, one guy over here, the wing, is going to come up and set a pick on the point guard's defender. The, then the point guard goes around the wing, and hopefully the, defend, the defender of the wing should pick him up. But most of the time they don't. So the wing man then sets the pick, and then he rolls. And he's going to roll toward the basket. He's going to get into the place where you could take a charge. And you'd be like, I, I have no idea what all you just said. But if I were to pull a couple of y'all down here, I could show you how to do it real quick. Well, this is what happened when God said, I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to demonstrate my love for you. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm not going to give you some half, 
half satisfaction, half half sufficient things as he did through the Old Testament with goats and bulls and the blood of goats and bulls. Those were partially sufficient, but they were not all sufficient as Jesus Christ is all sufficient to pay for the wrath that was to be on us and Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place. And that's what he was. He, he stood in our place. He is the demonstration, the earthly flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the earthly demonstration of God's heavenly love. And so many times we think of just love, love, love. God, through Christ, Christ was obedient and love is obedience. We think love is just an, an emotion. It may be a, that may be a portion of the definition, but love is obedience. And God uh, uh, enjoys obedience better than sacrifice. He wants us to obey. So what does God do? God sends His Son. They call Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died. That's what He did to buy my pardon. How amazing is our God. That is our God. And as we look at this text, we're going to walk through this. And, and the first thing we see is a demonstration of love by death. Demonstration by death. Look there in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he says, For when we were without strength, we were helpless, we were powerless, we were weak, and, most, and all of us were not even alive. We were not even alive. And although our parents and grandparents, great-grandparents, and I can add a lot of greats to that, didn't even think about us, really, Jesus was. And Jesus knew we were going to be sinners. And he knew we needed somebody to take the wrath of God. Because there's no way we can, we can bear that. But Jesus can. A holy, perfect sacrifice. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Our victory is in Him. For when we were without strength, John MacArthur wrote, unregenerate sinners are spiritually dead and incapable of doing anything to help themselves. Without Christ, I am, I am beyond weak. I am powerless. Powerless. A weak person still has a slight bit of power. I have no power apart from Christ. And all my power, all my ability comes through Jesus Christ and He alone. It says, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the godly. A guy named Robert Mounts wrote, Paul wrote to the Galatians that God sent His Son when the time had fully come. That's Galatians 4.4. And not only was it the right time in terms of the sweep of history, but it was the right time in the sense that we were powerless to break the chains of sin. We did not have the power to do so. But yet Christ had the power. Christ in all His sufficient power. The Bible tells us in Colossians that in Him and through Him all things are held together and consist. He is power. And apart from Him, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. And in today's uh, Sunday school lesson in Philippians, there's a lot of context to this. I don't think I'm saying you can do anything and everything that you want to do. But through Christ, there's nothing impossible with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All before that, Paul's talking about how I've learned to be content. When I've had little, when I've had much, when I've been, all these different things. But he said, I can do these things only because 
Christ is in me. I've learned how to be content. Discontent is one of the biggest problems in society today. I believe it leads to most of the sin that occurs in men and women's lives today is, is, an, is an attitude of discontentment. God is not giving me what I deserve. Oh, no, he's not giving you what you deserve. And you should be eternally grateful. He's not giving you what you deserve. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. He has not given me what I deserve. We don't need to sit up here on our, on our white throne pedestals and think, God, you ain't giving me what I deserve. You better be grateful God ain't giving you what you deserve. We don't deserve a God who would love us enough to come and demonstrate his love for us and die for us in our place as the substitutionary atonement. We don't deserve that at all. But God in his infinite grace and amazing love died in our place. How amazing is this love? And he did it at just the right time. I didn't know what time it was for Christ to die. Like I said, I wasn't even thought about yet in man's terms. But in God's terms, I was. Before the foundations of the earth, Christ died for the, un Christ died for the ungodly. They knew. God knew that he was going to have to die. And you know why? Because there was enough of me to make all of him die. That's, that's the beauty that at just the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And then Paul goes on to say there in verse 7, for, for scarcely for a righteous man will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even die. Douglas Moo wrote, a righteous person is one we might respect, but a good person is one we might love. And, and, and maybe scarcely for a righteous man, scarcely for one we might respect we might die. Yet perhaps for a good man, a good person is one we might love. Someone might even dare to die. You think about that. People go to war. People defend their homes because somebody's coming in to attack their family, someone they love. But an enemy? An enemy? While we're sinners? Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I could preach just this one verse. But God. Is that not awesome to think about? But God? Listen, there's, there's, there's no one else. No one else could, could suffice. No one else could fill the void. No one else could stand up before a holy God and say, I'll take it. I'll take it. But God demonstrates his own love. This isn't somebody else's love. He came before man. He came with, with his own love. He came in his own power. He came in his own likeness. He came and he died. God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we we're still sinners, we had done nothing, nothing of merit. Mounts also went on to write, God did not wait until we had performed well enough to merit his love, which, of course, no one could ever, uh, no one ever could, before he acted in love on our behalf. He died in our place. He, he, he demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, there was nothing we could do. And Christ died for us. Something I wrote that I totally skipped over. I was, before we receive anything, God did everything. Before we receive anything, God did everything. Everything. Everything was thought out. Everything was planned. God's love was not reckless. Let me just shout that from the rooftops. 
God's love was thoroughly planned out. And at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. If it wasn't just the right time, it would have been reckless. But it wasn't the right time, so therefore it was well thought out. God said man needs somebody. God needs something. And as we've been talking about on Wednesday nights through Genesis, the Proto-Evangelion there in Genesis 3, where God says, you know, uh, the, the snake is going to bite your heel, but, but the seed, the, the, the one that's going to come is going to crush your head. It's the first gospel. And here it is. This is the demonstration, the realization, and the fulfillment of how that took place. It was on a cross where Christ died in our place at just the right time for the sinner, for the ungodly, for the enemy of, the, of Christ. You might die for someone you love. You might, scarcely, maybe, you might die for somebody you respect. But who in the world dies for their enemy? Ain't nobody but one. And that's Jesus. Ain't nobody but one. And that's Jesus. So we've got that demonstration by death. And then we have salvation by sacrifice. Look there in verses 9 and 10. I think this is pretty awesome. If you actually go back into the first part of chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we're justified by faith in Jesus. It's by who we put that faith in that we're justified. It's not just that we have a faith, because people place a lot of faith in a lot of different things, but it's a faith in Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have any peace with God apart from a relationship with Jesus. It's impossible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. There's no way to be reconciled with Christ, to be reconciled with God, apart from a relationship with Christ. It's only through Him. Through whom, verse 2 of chapter 5, also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There is no way that we could stand in grace except by faith in Jesus. We have access, as Paul wrote, by faith into this grace, this saving grace in which we stand, we stand in salvation and in Jesus and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And, and throughout this, this text that I'm really breaking down, 6 to 11, we see all this poured out over even in more detail. And not only that, and not only that, verse 3 says, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Why do we have people with so little character today? Because they give up. They give up. What if Christ had given up on the cross? On the cross? Man, we would be a people most pitiable. I mean, we, we would be most pitied of all people. But Christ didn't give up. Jesus in the garden prayed, Not my will, but thy will be done. He said, If there's any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but thy will be done. He, he didn't give up. He wasn't a quitter. He persevered. Tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and from character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. 
not sprinkled, not dashed. It's been poured out. God's like this big old wonderful uh, fire hydrant of, of love that when he comes into your life, it's just like somebody's taking the, bolt, the, 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 the crescent wrench, if you will, and broke it open and it's just like pouring out on you. you we can't fathom the love of God. We can't fathom it because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God gives us the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can conjure up. It's not something that you can emotional, you can't emotionally draw it out. It's given to you by the Holy Spirit when you have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is how you have the Holy Spirit. That's how you live. We live by faith. And all of that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been justified by faith and we have peace with God. And it's because he was willing to sacrifice. What have we sacrificed lately for Jesus? What have we sacrificed lately for Jesus? What have I sacrificed lately for Jesus? Oh, did I sacrifice my, my time yesterday? Probably could have spent a little bit more time with Jesus yesterday. Probably could have spent a little bit more time with it Friday and Thursday and Wednesday. I mean, okay, here we go, Lord. <laughs> what have we sacrificed? I mean, the song that Jordan and Colin sang, oh, what sacrifice. I can't remember all the words right now or else I'd say, repeat it. But what a sacrifice that Christ gave. I mean, he left the glory of the Father. He left being praised, sitting at the right hand of his father, his redemptive work. I mean, he, he knew what the redemptive work was going to have to uh, take. But he left the glory of the father. He left the, the glory of heaven to this creation that he created and holds together. And he walked the very creation he created. Putting footprints in sand and footprints on this earth to show us how we can walk. And live a life that brings honor and glory to him. He didn't just from, from heaven, wherever that may be. He didn't just from heaven shout a shout. He didn't send somebody in his own place. God himself came. Born of a virgin. Lived a life without sin. Died on the cross for our sins in our place. Rose again and he's coming again. That's hope. That is hope. It is by sacrifice. Look there in verse 9. Much more then. More amazing and wonderful is this. Than all those things. That's, that's what Paul writes. When That much more means more amazing and wonderful than that. Having now been justified by his blood. This is present salvation. When we come to faith, it's immediate. It's present. Having now been justified. That's that's, that's like a present past, almost, having now been justified by his blood. And we just walked through the whole letter of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul wrote to them, he said in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
We are justified by His blood. Hebrews 9.12 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And then Hebrews 9, 16 through 22, this is a paraphrase as I read it. I typed this out. Moses institutes the testament of the temple by the blood of bulls and goats and water and hyssop and wool. And although they were precursors to what was to come, they were clearly not the fulfillment of what was to come, a greater and complete testament, testator, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fullness. He is the full sacrifice. Salvation by sacrifice. We, it says there in the latter part of verse 9. Let me read all of verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. This is a foreseen salvation. We shall be saved. He saw that that's how it was going to have to happen. It was going to have to happen by Jesus' death on the cross. So he said, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Whose wrath? It's God's wrath on sin. It's not God's wrath so much on mankind as it is God's wrath on sin. People say, well, God hates sinners. He, he, he don't approve of them, I'll tell you that. But he hates sin. He hated it so much he died for it. He died so that sin would not have victory over you and I. That's the reason why he died. So that victory would not come to us. I told an illustration Wednesday night. I thought it was pretty good. I'd heard it. There was a father in a car. And if you heard this, just hang on. I thought it was good. There's a father in a car. And uh, there's a bee, a wasp that had gotten in a car. And he's driving down the road. And his, his daughter's in the back seat. And she's, she's flailing about trying to keep the wasp away from her. And the dad says, oh, I can't kill it from up here. So he pulls over on the side of the road, and he can't find anything to do. So all he knows to do is to take that hand, and he cups that wasp against the window. And then he gradually grasps it so he can hold that wasp. And uh, he feels the sting in his own hand. And he opens up that door because he's pulled off, and he throws that wasp out the window, and it flies away. And the daughter's like, well, well Dad, what if the wasp comes back? And the dad holds out his hand. He said, you see that, daughter? He said, that's the sting of the wasp. It'll never hurt you again. The Bible says, oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has taken the sting of death. He took it on himself so that you and I don't have to fear it. Death is going to come. It's appointed unto man uh, wants to die and then the judgment. It's going to come. But the sting of it don't have to be there no more. Because through Jesus' death on the cross, we're saved from the wrath. We're saved from the wrath. Christ bore the full fury of God's wrath in the believing sinner's place, is what John MacArthur writes. For when we were enemies, listen, listen to how, man, Paul, man, he paints us as some really bad folks. Because you know what? We are. Until we realize how bad we are, we really don't realize how good Jesus is. Paul says, uh, there to begin with, he says, we were ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly there in verse 6. There in verse 8, he says, we are sinners. And here in verse 10, we are enemies. 
We're enemies. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of flesh through death, through his death and through his sacrifice. He did this to present you holy and blameless and without reproach in his sight. That's the reason why Christ died. He wants to present his bride, his people, holy, blameless, and without reproach. Who are we? Who are we that we continue to sin against a holy God who has died in our place? When we will realize the gravity of our sin. Has anybody ever looked at the cross? I was just reading through a book. I got it at Second and Charles yesterday. And it's a book called Doctrine. Uh, and, and Driscoll is writing about it. And it's called Cross, uh, Christ Dies. And he, and he 100% elaborates and defines exactly the, 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 the view of the cross. You know, many a times they would hang people at eye level so that the people could come by and spit on them. They could look them in their eyes as they were dying. Do you realize that? The cross is not what we see in our churches so many times. Jesus has got this nice little properly placed loincloth wrapped around his waist. No, they were set out there in all their shame, naked. They were left out there. If they, some may die in two to three hours. Many, it took nine to 12 days to die. And the Romans wouldn't even take them off the cross. They'd let the crows pick them apart. And then when the bones would fall, the dogs would take it home as a, as a toy. Listen, the cross is not something that we just go, Jesus died on the cross. We have so watered down the cross, we wear it on our necks, we wear it on our ears, but Jesus wore it on his back. And he died in our place. We forget this. And we go about our lives and we think, oh, I'm a Christian. Do whatever I want to do. I got freedom and grace. You do. But where's the glory to God in your freedom and grace? Where's the glory of God and, and glory to God in, in my freedom and grace? He died for you. He died for me. But you know what? He didn't, he didn't leave me in my sin. Verse 10. For if when we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Have you ever reconciled a relationship in your life? You ever had somebody you had a falling out with and you said, you know what? I, I need to make this right. I've got to make this right. I need to go back to them and make this right. Listen, it's hard, ain't it? It's hard sometimes because you know what you got to do? You got to swallow something. It's called your pride. But you know who's got to swallow their pride in this relationship, in this reconciliation? It ain't Jesus. It's you and me. It's you and me. We got to come humbly before the one. I think I quoted this the other day. The scripture tells us that. Uh, Let's see, I'm trying to think of exactly how the first words start, but it says, uh, Woe to those who fall upon the stone and are broken, 
But a greater, I don't think it's woe, but a greater woe unto those upon whom the stone falls, for they will be crushed. You choose to fall on Jesus. You may be broken, but he will put you back together. But God forbid you wait. And you wait. You ignore the power of his death on the cross. And then that stone falls on you. And you're crushed. That means like to ground, like to powder. Listen, and you have no hope. Because you know what that means? That means that you've died apart from Christ. Because you always have hope this side of the grave. There's always a hope. That's the prayer of every mother and father of a prodigal son. That they will find Christ. That Christ will find them, really. And they will swallow their pride. Just as in that just as in that parable that Jesus told, the young man comes to the realization, apart from my father, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I, I have no life whatsoever. But you know what? If I go back to my dad, at least he could take me back in as a slave. He swallows that pride. And he goes back home. The father's been waiting. Waiting and watching. When he comes up the road from a long distance away, he does what Jewish tradition says is something that a, that a Jewish father should never do. He takes off running. And he embraces his son. And he said, he's come home. He takes off his ring. He gives him his ring. He says, put, put a robe. Put a robe on my son. Tonight we're killing the fatted calf. He's come home. And he had a son at home. He had a son who was doing what he, what he thought he needed to do. Listen, the joy of a father in reconciling that relationship from a lost child is the same exact feeling that, that happens every single time the lost soul comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, we've been reconciled. And listen, this is the beautiful thing, too, that even makes, makes that even sweeter. If you look in the latter part of verse 10, it says, We shall be saved by his life. You know, certainly now that we are God's children, the Savior can keep us by his living power. By his power in death, he saved us. By his living power, he can retain us. And he can keep us. The Bible tells us, that once you are in the Father's hand, nothing can pluck you from the Father's hand. Nothing. There's no power. No power of hell. No scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. It's the truth. Nothing. Today, as we conclude this, I think about there's journey. I want you to journey in the joy of the Lord. That's what I want you to do. There was a demonstration by death. There is salvation and sacrifice. But I want you to go on in your journey in joy. Paul writes there, not only that, much more than that, more amazing and wonderful than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That's presently. Timothy Keller wrote, joy is the great marker of the justified person. Joy is the great marker of the justified person. 
Charles Wesley captures the sense of this reconciliation in one of his famous hymns. He writes, God is, my God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father Abba, Father cry. And Father Abba, Father cry. Listen. Today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me tell you how that occurs. The Bible tells us, as Jesus preached in Mark chapter 1, He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Because behold, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is here. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is near. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace through faith that you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God in Christ Jesus. This is not your working. Like I said, before we receive anything, God's done everything. 